Good morning. Stephanie wouldn't say it. She wouldn't refer to me as the older and wiser Stephanie of the two, so I will. <laughs> um, it's great to be here. We've been coming and worshiping with you all for several months. Um, and it's just for us, it's just been a refreshing, it's just been a refreshing place. So I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. Uh, my dad was a pastor. So I was born and raised. Uh, I think about Timothy when there's a scripture that says, you've known the scripture since infancy, and that's kind of what my life has been. But there's a lot for me yet to learn, and there's a lot that the Lord continues to do um, in my life, and I hope that I can be an encouragement to you this morning. We've been talking about revival for the past, this is the fourth Sunday and last one, and I was in that last song, we just we long for your kingdom to touch this earth. And I thought about what would it look like? What would it look like if the kingdom of God was truly here on earth? And I think about the justice that it would bring and the mercy that it would bring and the diseases that would be healed and the love that would just be lived out at every moment. That's what we're talking about when we, we long to see the kingdom come to earth. And Jesus asked us to pray, your, your kingdom come here as it is in heaven. So that's what we're kind of wrapping up this morning. We've looked at three symptoms of revival Chris told us about in that first sermon. The expectation of miracles. If the kingdom of God is unleashed on this planet... What will happen? Supernatural, unbelievable moves and workings of the Spirit of God will happen. Miracles. We've talked about prayer. That through prayer, being in the presence of God, because we have that access to Him in a breath, that brings revival. And then the last piece of that that he told us about the first Sunday was holiness. So when he asked me if I would talk about holiness, I'm like, yeah, it's sort of an elusive term for me <laughs> because how do you define it? How do you define holy? We sing a lot about the holiness of God. You know, we use that word, and it's one of those words that even in Scripture a lot of times it defines itself. So Samuel tells us there's none holy like the Lord. Okay, what does that mean? Isaiah says, the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Okay. For me, one of the most helpful ones is in Ezekiel chapter 44. Teach, he's talking to the priest. Teach my people the difference between the holy and the common. Okay, now I can start to, that, that helps me a little bit. So this is something that's more than the common. It's above the common, the ordinary Further, he says, teach them how to distinguish between the clean and the unclean. Okay, that's helping me a little bit more. So now, it, it may be I'm I'm, it helps me to define holiness more by what God is not than me trying to describe what holiness is. John Piper puts it this way. God's holiness is his infinite value as the absolutely unique, there is no other like him, absolutely unique, morally perfect, 
wrap your head around that, permanent person that he is, permanent, and who by grace has made himself accessible to us. So if we look at holiness, and I, I was thinking about this, if you picked up a message notes and you happen to see, like, I think the title, if Caitlin put it in there, from death to death, like, what in the world is she talking about today? Um, <laughs> stay with me. Hopefully we'll get there. But if you try to, to define holiness, there's a couple of ways. One is his distinguishing characteristic that separates him. He's, he's above. He's separate from everything he's created. Everything. So he's above that. He's higher than. He's bigger than. He's outside but inside all of that that he has created. So it's that characteristic. He alone is holy. And then the second one is his distinct moral purity. So I don't know about you guys, but I try to be good. You know, I try to be, I try, and we're going to get a little more into this, but, but when we think about, I, I try to do right things, I try to do good things, and guess what? I fail on the regular. I don't know if you do. But God is morally perfect, perfect. And I couldn't help but think about <laughs> my, when I was a high school student and probably later in college studying about Greek mythology. Any Greek mythology fans here? Those gods were whacked. I mean, they, you know, they'd go along and do their thing, and then they would get angry at somebody on earth, and they would, do, they would just mess with humans all the time. They got jealous. They got petty. They, got, um, they, were, they were absolutely affected by humanity. God is not. Aren't we glad that he is perfect? perfect? What if he was like 95%? But there was just a little bit of room for error or a little bit of room for inconsistency or a little bit of room for him to just have a bad day. So I, I just want you to sit with that thought for just a second. That he, his rightness, his perfectness, perfection, there's a comfort in that to me. Okay, so really sketchy attempt at trying to define holiness. What does this mean for us when we start looking at ourselves and the kingdom here as in heaven? And so what do we see that God asks us to do? I think it's the next one. There you go. Be holy as I am holy. No problem. It says that in Leviticus. No problem. Guess what? He repeats it in the New Testament, Peter says, just as he called you as holy, be holy in all you do, for it's written, be holy because I am holy. Great. Then Jesus himself says, this is the ringer in Matthew, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect, got it. This is easy. I can do this. <laughs> Problem is, I can't. And one of the things, when I was studying through this and looking, looking at it, this was really helpful for me, for me. And it was interesting because I had a quick conversation with Chris about this and realized that not everybody has this, had the same experience and upbringing that I've had. But this, these passages, be holy 
be perfect, have traditionally, I think, especially in our English language, been interpreted as a do verb. So do, do this. Do this holiness. Do this action which will make you holy. And, and I think that's where a lot of the um, challenge, if not more than challenge, discouragement, guilt, lots of things that, have, that, have, that has set up because we've interpreted it as a do verb. So it has set up a legalism in ways that if you don't do all these right things, there's no way you can be holy. There's no way you'll get to that standard that we believe God has for us. I, told, I shared this with Chris because he was like, you know, holiness is not really a negative word to me, but I think it is to some people. And I think it's a troublesome word because of how it's been used oftentimes in people's lives. I grew up in a church that was had a pretty high standard for holiness in behaviors and actions and outward appearance. And literally, I don't know that anyone ever said this to me, but I totally believed somewhere in all of that. If I sin on Friday and and I don't have, I have forgotten to ask for forgiveness or don't repent. And on Saturday, I have a car wreck. I might be in trouble. My salvation might be in trouble. And when I shared that with Chris, he's like, wow, yeah. Grow up in that kind of pressure that says, you better be perfect. You better try your hardest to be good enough. And there is judgment that's coming when you fail. So, why would God, why, why has he set this all up for us if, it's a, if it is a do word? I mean, here's the bottom line. By the way, you can't do it. It's impossible. So all the law, all the holiness of the law, all the legalism of what God handed down to us in the law, you can't do it. Impossible. Isaiah says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are as filthy rags. Yikes. Everything I try to do, it's never going to be enough. You, you see this played out big time with Paul in the New Testament. And I, and I know you've heard of Paul. He only wrote meh, 13, 14 of the New Testament books, of which there are 27 and Paul tells us in Romans, there's not one of you, none of you is righteous. No one has kept this, no one can. And then he goes into this discourse in chapter 7, and I'm sure that a lot of you have wrestled this out yourself. The good things I want to do, I can't do them. The things I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing. It's a merry-go-round. It's a merry-go-round in my life of I want to do the right things. I want to be good in this context. I want to be holy. But every time I turn around, I fail. And I think about my life. It's a merry-go-round. I've had, it's a merry-go-round sometimes. Why? Why? Why did I continue to gossip after I have said to myself 50 million times I'm not going to do that? As a body, I don't know what all of your things are that you're on a merry-go-round. I want you to think about it. What are the things that you struggle with, you long, you long to do, to give this up, whatever it is? 
Maybe it is, I long to get away from pornography. Why do I keep going back to that? I long to stop drinking too much. Why do I find myself there again? I long to stop being bitter and I long to forgive and repair this relationship. Why can't I do that? That's the merry-go-round that Paul was talking about. And I couldn't help but think, and this might date myself because I don't see any rides like this anymore, that the carnival, when I was a kid, there was a ride that you literally, it was a big round circle. You stepped inside it and it spun. And the centrifugal force of the ride mashed you back against the walls of this ride. So this is like a merry-go-round on steroids. And then, just about the time when you think, I can't stand this anymore, I kid you not, the bottom drops out. The, bo- the floor that you're standing on, they drop the bottom and you're just mashed up against this wall. It was, it was a pretty good adrenaline rush. <laughs> but, but doesn't the merry-go-round that we find ourselves, sometimes doesn't the bottom drop out? And if it's based on our efforts, we can't do it. We will never achieve the holiness of God based on our, own, on our own efforts. So Paul, at the end of that passage, he says, Wretched man that I am. Wretched. Who will rescue me? Who will get me off this merry-go-round? Who will bring the floor back up under me. He's crying out because he knows he can't do it. And then we get to chapter 8 in the first verse of chapter 8. And look what it says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Here's the good news. (laughs) I can't do this holiness thing. I don't have to. I don't have to if I am in Christ Jesus. This is where now the understanding that the holiness is a be verb. It's not a do verb. It's a be verb. It's something we are because of what God has done for us in Christ. So there are scriptures that talk about put on. It's like Man, I'm, I'm wrapping myself. I'm putting on the righteousness of Christ. And I love this because it's this God that we can't even describe. We can't even understand how big he is saying, I know you can't do this. I love you so much. I'm going to do it for you. I love you so much. I'm going to do it for you. So he sent Jesus to pay the price for the the fact that we can't keep the law, we can't do any of these righteous things on our own, okay, I'm going to pay for that. So this is where the love becomes overwhelming. And the longer I have lived, I have had this huge shift from got to keep the rules, oh my gosh, what if I don't? I don't want to go to hell, I don't want to burn, I don't want to, I mean, all these things. Now I'm overwhelmed By the love of God that says, I've got you. You can't do this. I'm going to do this for you. So I want to read something. This is a a devotional book that's kind of a 
daily prayer thing that I do a lot. This is from a book called Sacred Thirst. So when God says, you shall be holy for I am holy, he's not giving us an imperative. He's making us a promise. Isn't that cool? In Jesus Christ, we shall be holy. We do not become holy by trying to obey Jesus' teaching. Instead, we are made holy by allowing the Holy Spirit to draw us close to Jesus so that his love begins to flow through our veins, changing our hearts, renewing our minds, making us holy in every aspect of life. So you, there's two paths forward on this holiness journey. One is you have the righteousness of Christ. Two is you have the help of the Holy Spirit. Who, by the way, is Christ and God in some crazy way that I'll never understand this side of heaven. Part of this one and the same. So God's saying, I love you enough that I'm going to do this for you by sending Jesus to pay for your sins and to become your righteousness. And if that's not enough, I'm going to help you for the rest of your life as you walk this path in a very broken world. I'm going to help you increase in your, in your understanding and your living out what I want for you and who you are. So again, he's saying... I've got you. I will shape you. I will prune you. I will build you up. I will gift you. I will equip you. I will help you walk this walk. So it's like he's saying, live in this power. (laughs) Let the gift of my grace be a means to your holiness. You already have it. Wear it. Wear it and walk in it. So, What does all this have to do with revival? So we've been praying for revival, and we are praying at City Church for revival here, individually, and corporately. In this body, in Cincinnati, in, you know, what are we asking God to do? What does revive mean? And I know we've talked about this a couple, I can't help but think, I work with, love what I do, work with women who are, struggling with addiction, and coming out of sex trafficking. I have learned so much from them. And when I think of revive, the word, I can't help but think of Narcan, uh, which is a very powerful drug. I'm sure most of you have heard of it uh, by now, but it's the craziest thing to see someone, their life is ebbing out of them, and then when a EMT or whoever comes along and hits them with Narcan, and sometimes it takes more than once, but it's like, they wake up, the life comes back into them, and they are revived. So revive means to restore, to bring back, bring back that life, bring back that, the essence of everything that that is. So that's what we're praying for. Some of you guys might still be checking all this out. You know, you're talking about revival. You're talking about I don't holiness. You're talking about I didn't use the word, but sanctification, which is the journey that we're all on for, to get closer and closer to that. That's okay. There are people here that would love to talk to you. 
if you're not there yet. But if you are somebody who is walking with Jesus, you're still struggling with the things that, that are keeping you <clears throat> from feeling and living in the power and the life force of revival. This, this, I hope, is the last piece of this that will be helpful to you. So what do we do? And this is where death to death, this is what I meant, because that sounds really happy, doesn't it? <laughs> you have to die to yourself. That's the death. You die to yourself. Out of the holiness you are because of Christ, you die to yourself. Which, on its face, is like, what? what? That sounds pretty. But here's the deal. We ask for the kingdom to come to earth. And again, I want you to think about what is that? What is the kingdom of God? It is all things beautiful. All things right. All things love. All things... Anything you see on this earth that is beautiful or, uh, you know, I think about art even and just creativity. Anything you see in this life is the best part of God that we get to see. That's what we're asking for to come here. What keeps us from that? What keeps us from the Acts chapter 2 church power of the Holy Spirit working in the kingdom coming down. And I think it is, we're weighed down. We're weighed down with sin, still. We're weighed down with bad habits. We're weighed down with insecurities. We're weighed down with addictions, unforgiveness, bitterness, because we live in a broken world. So we can still, we wear the holiness of Christ we wear it. If we have accepted what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we wear that. But in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews gives us another piece to this. And he says, let us throw off any baggage. Let us throw off any sin that trips us up. Satan can't touch you. The enemy, once you belong to Jesus, he cannot touch your salvation. But he can, he can weigh you down. He can weigh you down. He, could, he can tie stones, lead around your feet. He can keep you bound, not with your salvation, but with other things. He can keep you from being effective. He can keep you from living the kingdom of God that, that the Lord is saying, I want to give you. I want to give you all of this. He can do that. So what do we do? We die to self. Galatians 2.20 says, I, have, I love this verse. It's one of my favorites. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. What is that new self that Christ lives in us? It's free. It's whole. It's healed. It's full of power. This is what I see, get to see dramatic 
versions of in my work with these women because they have been dead. They've been dead, sometimes physically, but they have been dead in their spirit. And they come to know Jesus and they are alive and free and whole. Do they still struggle? Yep. Is relapse still around the corner? Yep, because we live in a broken world. And so for all of us, we still struggle, right? We still struggle with temptations. We still struggle with temptations that we give into. And then we get mad at ourselves, and then we heap all this shame. And there's that whole message that we just, then the enemy gets a hold of that, tells us that nothing we can do is going to change any of that. You've been crucified with Christ. This new person, you wear the holiness of Christ that says, I'm free, I'm whole, I'm full of power. I love to think of, because I always wished I could learn how to do this, clay in a potter's hands. Do you know that this God is an artist? He's an artist. He's a king. He's a good father. He's just, he's merciful, he's indescribable. He wants to, he just wants to hold you in his hands and shape you to be the best version of who he created you to be. That's what he wants out of his love for you. In holiness and righteousness, these are characteristics of God's covenant people. The righteous are those who stand in right relationship with God, trusting him above every created thing, above parents, above spouses, above one's own abilities, above money, and performing with joy the requirements that come with this covenant. What are the requirements? Love one another <laughs> as I have loved you. The holy, likewise, are those whose relationship with God separates them. Remember back to the first of this, God is separate. So this holiness separates us, even as God is separate, from a godless world. They neither serve the world nor take their identity from the world. I want you to hear that. They don't take their identity from the world. They take their identity from the clothes they wear that is the righteousness of Christ. They, take, they don't take their identity from the world's standards, judgments, opinions, delights, behaviors. They are strangers here, but they are also fearless, free. That's who we are. So we die to self, which sounds like... A weird way to say that. But literally, what does it mean? Get myself out of the way. Get myself out of the way and allow this artist, this good king, to shape me and mold me and do with me what he wants. I can hear God saying, let me have it and watch what I do. Watch what I do. So when I say, please, Lord, let the kingdom come, he's saying, Get out of the way, and I'll show you. I'll show you what I can do. How do, we, how do we get ourselves out of the way? How do we die to self in a practical way? How do we do that? Well, 
It's another word that's not been real popular, I think, in modern culture. Repent. We repent. I put up here early and often. If, if repentance becomes a way of life, confession, repentance, get this stuff out of my life. If that becomes a way of life, what does it bring? Freedom. Freedom. There are no more secret sins. There are no more struggles that nobody knows about that can help me and pray for me and walk with me in. It's, it's how I can get rid of the baggage and get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us. We're afraid of it because we don't want to look bad. But it brings freedom. And it, brings, it, it allows the Holy Spirit to just swoop in and do His work. We die to self when we make decisions to die to self. And that brings life. And Jesus said himself, I came, by the way, not to bring condemnation. I came to bring you life. And what? Life to the full. Again, anything in this life that is worth pursuing, that is worth appreciating, that is worth gathering and holding on to, anything. That's like a shadow of what God wants to give us in his kingdom. And so he's saying to us, just lay it down. Lay it down and watch what I do with your life. I wanted to give you a couple of examples of this for my life so you would just see maybe what this looks like. Um, when I was a young woman, probably even from teenage years and through... I've always had a pretty friendly, um, affectionate, warm personality, which all of those things are gifts. But along with that, there was a huge flirtatious side to me. It's just who I was. That's how I'm wired. And so, you know, that, it was fun. There would be, like, lots of friends, lots of interactions with people. Lot, but guess what happens? When that got taken too far... There's, mis, there's meanings that are miscommunicated. There's motives that are miscommunicated. There's problems in relationships. There's problems in a marriage, you know, because that flirtatious stuff is not conducive <laughs> to a healthy relationship. Can't help it. That's how I'm wired. At some point, probably after a lot of pain, the Lord said to me, you got to die to this. you got to die. So I had to make a conscious decision. I'm going to still be caring. I'm going to still be warm. I'm still an affectionate person. But that piece, that piece of the flirtatious stuff, which, by the way, I liked it because I got attention. I got affirmation. I got, you know, I'm just being transparent here. There, was a, there were uh, good things to that or I wouldn't have kept doing it, right? But there was also a cost, lots of costs. And so when God said, that's got to die, okay? So that piece of myself, that, I, put that, I put that to death because it was not doing anything except bringing harm and pain, really, to the people that were the most important to me. Another time in my life, I went through 
college, went into grad school. Um, my husband and I got married. I loved grad school. I um, was asked when I finished my master's degree by the professors in the department, please stay and do a PhD. That was always in my mind. I really want to do this. I really want to go to the next level. I want to, I want to pursue this in my field. I want to be at the top of this. I just had that hope in front of me. We got married. He went to grad school, so I got a job while he went to grad school, and then we decided to start a family, so we had our first baby. I was working. The job that I had, I loved. I was doing very well. I was given a promotion right before I left to, on maternity leave. They all said, you're not going to stay home. You'll be back. You love this. Your career is in your blood, all that. I said, okay. So had the baby, stayed home for a little bit. About six weeks in, I said to my husband, you couldn't blast me out of this house now. So here I am. But I was still like, what do I do with this dream? What do I do with this drive that I have had? And I'm not, this is what God said to me. And he doesn't say this to everybody. But at some point, he said to me, you need to be willing to lay that on the altar. You need to be willing to give that to me. Okay. Now, he didn't say, kill it. He just said, are you willing to give it to me? Are you willing to lay it in my hands? And I said, yes. So I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it meant. Five kids later, uh, homeschooling five kids all the way through high school. <laughs> I never would have dreamt when I started that that was the path that the Lord had for me. But in effect, I laid that whole dream of all of this stuff on the altar. And I'm going to tell you what the Lord has done with that. I can't begin to describe. I, and again, this is my journey. I look at the five children that are now adults, that are now raising their children, that are now, this is why I can say older and wiser, number 20 grandchild is on the way um, in April. But I look at those kids, and I see the people that they are because they are walking with Jesus. Their spouses walk with Jesus. They're raising 19 so far people that are going to be in the kingdom of God because I trust and believe that's going to happen. I had no idea when the Lord said, give me this dream and just watch what I do. I would not trade a Ph.D. for what I watch every day the Lord do in my family. There's no way. And what I know he is doing with these people <laughs> and what he's going to do because I now walk firmly in, you are blessing us to a thousand generations because that's who you are. That's the God that you are. And then more recently, so these are just highlights, but so you would think, and I'm just going to admit this. I'm just going to. Last March, I turned 60. You're welcome, Dwight. So you would think, here's a 60-year-old who's been walking with the Lord since she's known herself. Because basically, you know, my earliest memories are all to do with growing up in the church. So you would think I would have this down, right? You would think, she's pretty. And it's funny because some of the times my women that I work with will say, oh, Miss Stephanie, 
like you understand any kind of sin or you understand any kind of problems. And I'm just like, if you only knew. Just last year, after a lifetime of walking with the Lord and 38 years of marriage to this wonderful man, I, just going to be transparent, I have a propensity toward holding on to things. You would not know that about me because you think, if you know me very well, oh, she's so full of grace. She's so full of mercy. And I am. I have received an amazing amount of grace. I am the woman who said, about whom was said, she has been forgiven of much. She's able to love much. That's who I am. So I have mercy and grace all over the place, except for this man that I live with. And I can go down a, I can go down a trail in two seconds of all the things that I'm upset about and why I'm justified to be upset about that and why, you know, I'm, I have gotten way better about the whole victim thing, but I can get there real quick. And I can be, I was also blessed with the gift of, like, reasoning and arguing and I taught speech and debate. Some of my kids learned that far too well. Um, so I can argue, I can just argue with the best of them about my point because I have a high, high um, value of judge, justice and I can go there. So just last year in my life, the Lord just kind of slapped me upside the head and said, this needs to die. This needs to die. So at 60... The Lord is still doing a work in my life to say, this is not holy. This, you, you need to give this to me, you know. So all of these things that we struggle with, those, those outward things, I've pretty much gotten past those at this stage of my life. Insecurity. I've gotten past that. That kind of happens as you grow. <laughs> you don't care so much what people think. You don't care so much what you look like or whatever. I've, I've grown past a lot of those things. But don't be fooled for a second to think that the entire way, this side of heaven, because we live in a broken world, we will continue to face the attacks of the enemy in the ways that he knows exactly which one to pull out exactly with you in this time in your life. So, I have learned to die to self, and it has brought deep peace. And it has brought deep joy that is not able to be shaken. The circumstances of my life they swirl, and they do all kinds of things just like yours do. But the, but the peace and the joy that I walk because I have learned to lay it down and give it over to this God who loves me more than I will ever know. I can't even describe. So my, my ladies that I work with for a while, when we first started, we would always say, 
the, a lot of the word, the verbiage around it was, you just got to keep fighting. You got to just, you got to keep fighting. You're worth fighting for. You're worth it. You're worth fighting for. Keep fighting. Don't give up. Keep fighting. In the last couple of years, that has shifted. And you know what it is now? Surrender. Give up. Give it up. Give it up to the one who made you. Most of our ladies, almost, almost every single one of them, in the time that they're with us in, their home, in our home, they know, they, they know Jesus. They give their lives to Jesus. Does their trouble stop? Nope. Does their addiction stop? No. But they are walking in the holiness of Christ. And now as they, as they continue on that journey of sanctification, as they continue on that journey of little things that become bigger things getting just like shucked off of them, and they walk with more freedom, and they walk with more grace, and they walk with more joy. That is the kingdom of heaven at work on earth. And so we long for the power. We long for the transforming things that happen, that come with revival. We long to see the miracles. We long to see prayers answered. And God is saying, I want to pour all of that out on you. Just give it to me. Give it up. Whatever it is, give it up. So in repentance, in rest, is our salvation, according to Isaiah. In quietness and trust is our strength. So when Jesus wants us to pray for a touch of heaven to come here, he's already brought the holiness. You're already there. Throw it off and walk in it. Run in it. And allow the Lord to do with you what he longs to do. I want to close with a prayer. And I just ask you to pray this with me as I read it. Gracious and loving God, you know the deep inner patterns of my life that keep me from being totally yours. You know the misformed structures of my being that hold me bonded, in bondage to something less than your high purpose for my life. You also know my reluctance to let you have your way with me in these areas. Hear the deeper cry of my heart for wholeness, and by your grace, enable me to open to your transforming presence in this time. Lord, have mercy. Amen.